The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. back everybody to another episode of benched with bubba we're continuing our season previews team by team all 30 teams around major league baseball to get you ready for the 2023 fantasy baseball season and we finish up i think the al east with this wonderful episode going to florida wonderful florida tampa bay florida to talk tampa bay rays and in order to do so have a special guest a man that knows the rays inside and out also knows fantasy baseball card quite well as you can find him on rotowire.com Bold predictions are out right now. It's that time of the year. Get him on Sleeper on the Bust on Sundays and occasionally other times as well. And on Twitter at Jason Collette. Jason, how are we doing, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well, man. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. It's uh, that time of the year, so it's good to have you back on and talk some Rays. Oh, absolutely. Everybody else come dress for the part like me. For those That's of you guys perfect. just listening, got the hat, got the shirt, got the neon light in the back. Yeah. That my buddy got me for my 50th birthday. So, yeah, I am I am dressed for success to talk about Tampa Bay Rays and and uh, them doing better this year. Yeah, they're – well, you, you know better than anybody. They always seem like they're just so close, but so far it's like a piece here, a piece there. And uh, before we actually into players, I just want your general thoughts. They actually extended some guys recently, which to me, like it wasn't like crazy money, of course, but for the Rays to kind of to me invest in multiple players at one time kind of felt like, wow, this is kind of a different approach. So what was your thoughts on that as like just a fan? Yeah, as a fan, I I, I really love it for like, especially Pete Fairbanks. And, and to me, what really spoke volumes for me, you know, Pete Fairbanks, two Tommy John surgeries in his history, he had a pretty severe uh you know, oblique core muscle injury that took him out of, of for a while. So his health track record hasn't been the best, but he's gotten better and better and better in every year since the team's acquired him. And now he got paid for it. Uh, and, you know, we can talk more about him as his specific role later. And then Yandy Diaz, same type of thing. It's, you know, 
yeah, he had flaws when they acquired him for next to nothing uh, from Cleveland. Uh, and he, too, has gotten better and better and better every year. And he's been underappreciated. And he's like one of the uh, guys behind the scenes that helps keep the clubhouse together type of thing uh, situation. So I like seeing those types of guys around because again when you're going to ball on a budget you got to play on some of those you got to play on some of those fringes and the fact that they weren't able I mean they were able to convince Zach Eflin to come back to Florida when I say come back um, he went to high school right up the street from UCF uh, in fact he was supposed to go to UCF uh, and then he got drafted highly by the Padres and said I'm gonna go get paid back before NIL became a big thing right so uh, yeah so it's like convincing him to come back to Florida wasn't as difficult, but they didn't get any hitters to come yet. I mean, there's still some that are out there. Maybe that's what they're wait- they're playing the waiting game, uh, game of chicken to see what can happen because the the team said they wanted to add offense and they haven't added anything <laughs> this this off season. Well, there's still guys out there, so we'll see. You know, there's always Elvis Andrews if you're feeling it. Just kidding, just kidding. But he's still sit- <laughs> he's still sitting out there for some reason. The Red Sox wanted Mondesi instead, so that's a whole other conversation. Um, let's talk, let's talk race. We'll start offense and then go de- uh, pitching like we used to do on this show. And we'll start with the, the main man, Wander Franco, who's uh, ADPs around 93 the last few weeks. And we know it was kind of an injury riddled season last year. Still at like, you know, six homers, eight stolen bases, uh, did his thing, hit for a decent average. It seems like there's always this higher expectations for Wander. And again, the caveat I'll mention, you probably will too. He's only 22. Like he's still young, but what's your thoughts on Franco? Because for me personally, I still have a hard time drafting him, not seeing it yet. But I know there's some that believe this guy is the next best thing. Yeah, you know, I took him in the in the fifth round last year, fifth or sixth. I think I was picking towards the end, five, and it was just like if he's there, I'll take him. Uh, and it did. Right now, it comes down to a balance, and we often see this where some guys are better. You know, the the hype and the real baseball play. Uh, reputation bleed over into the fantasy and so yeah you know he was arguably the best prospect in baseball and you want that to translate the fantasy but it doesn't always translate the fantasy because wander's best skill is his bat to ball skill but that doesn't exactly translate to 20 plus homers yet um and he yes he's quick enough on his feet but he's not blazing fast um and he doesn't get a 20 steals yet. I mean, these are things that can still happen for him. Uh, and the time he missed is going to hurt him in, in his overall run production. So he can do a lot of things well. He doesn't do any one fantasy category extremely well yet. I keep saying the word yet uh, because that's that has to be his mindset. I, I, you know, I can't do this yet. And uh, you, know, you hear about a lot of this in the business world. And that's where I see he can contribute across all five categories. When you watch him, his you know, again, you can see the maturity just from at bat to at bat, sometimes even pitch to pitch. And he's a better hitter from the left side than he is the right side. Uh, to me, I'm, I'm more impressed in that capacity uh, with him. So I do like to see the growth uh, in his game. I uh, just have to remind myself that just because of, of what he does as a real baseball player doesn't always translate over into that fantasy superstardom that you want to see. I mean, people want him to be like his what is his got like Jose Ramirez, his neighbor got, I forget the exact connection. They want him to be Jose Ramirez, but it took Jose Ramirez a while to become Jose Ramirez. So got to have some patience. Yeah. I'm with you. Like I'm still kind of doing the wait and see approach And one of these years. He'll do it. And I'll just kind of be like, okay, well I missed it this year, but now we can start you know playing the game. Cause I believe there's definitely something there. Like you're saying, he's just so young. Um, but uh, some are putting, they say the cart before the horse type thing. Like yeah. let's, let's, let, let's let him develop. Let's let him figure it out and make it happen. 
Now, a gentleman that I have been rostering everywhere for a couple of years now is Randy Rosarena, and I'm back on the train again this year. ADP just inside 40 over the last couple of weeks. I love the power speed he brings to the table. Batting average obviously is not his best asset, but not bad, really not bad. And the fact the race just let him run, which is a beautiful thing. So I love Randy. What's your thoughts on Randy heading into this season? Yeah, they let him run. Uh, and I say this because – <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because he when you combine like baseball reference has the stat outs on the bases and that that is running into outs and that does not factor in um, being picked off. But if you combine pickoffs and outs on the bases, Randy Rosarena was number one. Jose Altuve was number two. So, you know, with some success comes some problems, right? Uh, and so that's where Randy Rosarena, he would, you know, delusions of grandeur. I'm going to make it home. Uh, I'm going to score. Like he would get thrown out, especially when you get thrown at third or home. It's like, oh, but he would do it so often it became a running joke. Uh, that said, they do let him run. Like you said, you know, he runs a lot. I would say he probably, his stolen base opportunities, uh, attempts uh, against opportunities, is probably one of the highest in the league for a guy that does not hit leadoff. Uh, and so that's the beautiful thing about him. He can put in that volume like we saw last year, and he can just continue to run, which is fun. Uh, is, and they don't they didn't seem to curtail him at all last year, uh, and they just let him keep doing this thing even when he was running into outs. It was, and to, and it, to his credit, I mean, there wasn't a lot of aggressively stupid. There were some. There were some who was like, man, what were you thinking? And other ones, it was like a 50-50 play. And, you know, it is what it is uh, on that regard. But he is going to be – he's a volume play, and he would be even better if – like, Yanni Diaz gets on base. Great. But Yanni Diaz is a station to station. He's not going to – like, Yanni Diaz was another guy that ran into a lot of outs on the bases. He was fourth overall in the league um, because it takes a while to get that truck moving. Uh, and so, like, if he – if Randy had a better guy in front of him uh, that could, like, really get on base, he could be a monster and runs driven in because it's, it's something he does really well. But they get, when he's got a guy like Yanni Diaz clogging up the bases in front of him who's on first base more often than he's on second base, that's where it kind of limits his upside. But, again, he's a, he's a volume play who's been able to stay out there you know, just about every day. Yeah, and that's why I love him. It's like, uh, you know, he burst on the scene in that sh- that playoff run that, that we saw with the Rays, and people are like, oh, well, it was f- his first run. Then he backed it up again, and then he backed it up again. And it's like, okay, this is who – maybe this is who he is, for reals. Um, just for fun here, uh, if we're talking kind of, kind of similar types but maybe a little different, they're going about 12 picks apart. Would you rather have Randy Rosarena or Cedric Mullins? Justin's going to listen to this. So I'm going to say, of course I want Randy. Uh, of course I want him. It's just he, he's going to have he's going to have the volume type. He's going to have that volume uh, overall. And Mullins probably Mullins probably Mullins will have more steals, would have more runs. Uh, but then I would that's where I would put. And batting average could be a wash, but at the end, yeah, I want the more home runs. I want the more RBIs, especially in this year where we don't know how. You know, new year, more rules. Who knows what we're going to get? Uh, and so I want to try to get more offense. So I'd take a Rosarena there. Uh, what about this one? They're about 25 picks apart, and Rosarena should have the batting average advantage, but power speed could be a little more interesting. Rosarena or Adelise Garcia? Man, uh, I, I have I have both in XFL, and I feel blessed. Uh, so yeah, uh, thank you, Don Drucker, as you retired, giving me your team, uh, because I have both of those guys in that league and that's, I don't even have to make that choice. Uh, and the funny thing was like last year I was running away from Annalise Garcia. Like this year, I, I don't want to run away. Uh, I, I, re- I want Garcia with that, with that difference. I'd rather 
have Garcia only because uh, the, the the supporting cast immediately around him in the lineup is a better spot if you believe that those some of those guys are going to rebound uh, and or and or perform where they performed last year. Garcia is in a better spot. And the last one I'll ask you, and I heard your answer. I believe I, I caught up on RotoWire podcast today, and um, going nine picks ahead of of a Rosarena is Michael Harris the second. Oh yeah, give me a Rosarena there. And, and and so for those who didn't hear the RotoWire podcast, yeah. the only reason I say that uh, so quickly is when you look at Harris, we haven't seen him fail yet. We don't know how he handles failure. Yeah, I, I said I feel like I'm talking Ian Khan's language because Ian's yeah. huge about like the off the field uh, in the what happens in the dugout type of thing. But with with Harris, you look at the fact that the the walk. So few walks, so many strikeouts, and you look at the history of players like that, the volatility the following season kind of goes all over the place. Um, But for the most part, it it has not played out that well. And so he's set a high bar for everybody. I just like it's it's the market price where he's going in the in the marketplace right now is is. You know, I can't do it. I cannot buy in with him going where he, where, where Harris going in the, you know, 28, I think at the time we were talking, I think that keeps going higher uh, with them. He's a great player. And, you know, like I said, all the credit in the world to James Anderson last year, who was higher on him than anybody else. And, and people who took him, a few people I know are like, I took him because James had ranked him 26. And I was like, well, and they took a deeper look and we're like, okay, you know, if, if he believes let's, let's get a shot. And they were getting him super late. Um, and probably, you know, I would say one of the more like this year, uh, this past year, if you were, you know, Aaron Judge was a champion maker. If you played fantasy football, if you had Travis Kelsey and you weren't in the playoffs and or the Super Bowl, I don't know what you did because um, <laughs> yeah, I won my league and I had Travis Kelsey. Uh, and it was I mean, every week it was just beautiful. Was he amazing. was a championship maker. And so getting Harris last year as a championship maker. This year, it kind of feels like, as we were talking earlier about Wander Franco, it's like, okay, we're going to draft on that expectation, and the reality is not going to be what we thought it was by the end of the season. 100% with you. We're on the same page on pretty much all those would-you-rathers. I, I, I love Randy. I love Adelise, what he's doing, and Harris costs too much right now. Um, the aforementioned truck named Yandy Diaz that you mentioned, that it takes a while to get that truck moving. He's got an ADP of 254. It's going to hit a top of the order. It's always, to me, a question of can he elevate a baseball and hit home runs or not. But there's a, there's it seems like there's more buzz about him this year. I'll say that much. So what's your thoughts on Yandy, Yandy Diaz going into this season? You know, it's it's funny with him because he can elevate a baseball. It's the mistakes. Like he truly will hit a pitch wherever it is. And if somebody makes a mistake, you can see him. He'll turn and burn on one. Go pull up some of the home run highlights. He can absolutely pull a home run. He can also hit a home run to the opposite field. Uh, and so that you know that plays out well for him. You know, you look at how they're going to realign defenses this year. I was always shocked how the teams didn't reverse shift him because if you look at his spray chart, so much of it is to the right of second base. Uh, but he is truly somebody that will hit the ball to wherever it's pitched, pull it down the third base line on the ground, pull it down the right field uh, line on the ground in the air. He can do all of that. I, I would say he benefits um, with the changes in Toronto when they go to the play there in Toronto because that's his power uh, that direction because he does have the power to juice the ball out that direction. Um, you know, it's got to be for him is got to keep the legs healthy. I mean, like I said, it, it takes a while to get that truck moving, but it tends to be his legs that get hurt uh, when he's trying to when he's trying to do too much. And the leg came up and barked at him a couple of times last year, but he gets on base, and that's the beauty of him. If you're an OBP format. Diaz just gets on base and he's continually undervalued because of what he doesn't do. Last year, 
I want to say I was picking up Yandi uh, in the 23rd, sometimes even the reserve rounds because of what he doesn't do. Sure, he doesn't steal bases. Sure, he does not. You know, his runs and RBIs are going to be limited by all of his other flaws. But batting average, like, is there a possibility where he could, you know, compete for a batting title? Absolutely. Um, it's there. It's probably a 90th percentile type of thing, 95th percentile thing. But he has the bat, the ball skills to do that. And he knows how to get on base. So if he can get on base, and right now I would say he's the projected leadoff hitter, uh, it, it could play out well for him as long as those legs stay healthy. The runs, the runs should be there and the batting average should be there. And we'll see how everything else falls in. If he hits leadoff, the RBIs will once again be limited because the bottom of that lineup is uh, not great on paper. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but no, I, he's interesting because he's. I know, I've heard more people talk about him this year, and um, ADP third base the way he gets nasty late. It's uh, it's an interesting predicament with Yandi. Let's talk Brandon Lau though. This one's tricky. Big time injury season last year. Only played sixty five games. He's technically only had one full season in his career. But something that I've always paid attention to. ADP still around one seventy ish, give or take. So, what's your thoughts on Brandon Lau this year? You know, he was in his ADP this time last year uh, was about half that. You know, he was sitting there in the 65, 70 range, if memory serves me correctly. You know, it's like for him, he's somebody that I. I... The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. I want to say I put him in the value of the scrap heap article, but he's yeah, he's in something that I've written this offseason as you know, this is a guy who hit 39 home runs in 2021. It's not like we have to even go that far back. Uh did say like if 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 he was guy to hit 39 home runs, like if he did a Josh Bell and hit like his 37 home runs in 2019, you'd be like, okay, bouncy ball. Or if he pulled a Jeff McNeil with the 20-something home runs, okay, bouncy ball. But Lau did it in 2021. Uh, and so it's like he's able to do that. Yes, he's had some issues hitting lefties, and that's why they have all the righties on the team uh, type of thing. But my bigger question with him, I don't doubt the bat. What I doubt is where how they're going to put this lineup together the way it stands right now uh Lau could play some first base um we really don't know what he could be as a full-time regular defensive second baseman um with without the shifted alignment because the team did use a lot of uh, alignments he has played some outfield as well so I want to see exactly where he's going to play that's really my only question for him at the price you look at his ADP over the past month we're looking at 170. Um, I ended up taking him in one of my DCs, and I took him 27 picks below that. I got him. I got him to pick 197. 
Uh, if I'm reading this correct, the red just says I got him late, or maybe I took him early. I don't know. Maybe it's the other direction. I picked. I took him at 143. I'm sorry, I took him early um, because I was when I was looking at the position depth in this particular DC. Uh, many of the teams went offense heavy early, uh, and so there was a lot of pitching. So I ended up going to grab bats um, earlier than the other DC. I did two different, and they both they played out completely differently. It was weird. Um, but I had, don't have a problem with uh, Brandon Lyle having a rebound this year. We know he can hit. Uh, it, like you said, it's a matter of him staying on the field. Uh, and if they move him off a of second base and put him at first base, then it becomes a little easier to keep him on the field. Yeah, and then you get that. MICI eligibility, which is always beautiful. So that could be another plus for him as well. Uh, Harold Ramirez is the guy he'd be potentially taking some reps from at first base if that uh, comes to play, or Harold can DH or play, he maybe play the outfield too. Who knows? But uh, he's got an ADP of 365, and he's just an interesting one for me because he's shown like okay hit tools, like average can be there once in a while. Just everything else is kind of like blah, it feels like with Harold Ramirez. So how do you approach him? Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, he the, we we saw him hit for average last year. He can make good contact. He loved the multi uh, position eligibility with first base and outfield as we as we head into the season. Uh, but I honestly look at him like if they do do some kind of move here be, uh, during camp because they've done that before. They signed CJ Crone during camp. They they've added like I saw my buddy Steve tweet like on this day in race history, the Rays added Kelly Johnson back in 2013. So they have been able to make late moves. Um, and to me, if they were to make some kind of trade, Harold Ramirez feels like the guy they would trade um, because there's some duplicity and there's more upside with Isak Paredes uh, there. But, you know, Ramirez is another one of those guys well liked in the clubhouse uh, and whatnot. So that's where I, I'm trying to figure out where his future sits. But I, if they do make a deal, it feels like he's the type of guy that would get traded um, to acquire something else they need uh, at, at you know at another position. What that trade looks like, I don't know. But the overall trade market has been very quiet lately. Uh, I, I keep trying to, to wish cast some, some kind of deal. Like I, I've mentioned, I think I even mentioned on the Rotowire podcast, like Nick Prado sitting there in, in Kansas City yeah, with Vinny Pascatino blocking one spot and MJ Melendez blocking another spot. I would love to see if Nick Prado can pull an Adam Dunlight profile off with all the, the power of the walks and the strikeouts um, and do so for my favorite team who needs that kind of offense and loves the defense that Prado brings to the table. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if Kansas City's going to be like, oh, sure, we'll take Harold Ramirez for that. You got to work something else out uh, in that regard. So I don't know if, if Ramirez is going to stick around the club, but if he is, it's, it's going to be in a reserve capacity if something else goes wrong with some of the other guys. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Like he's he fills a role if necessary, like you said. But I'd rather see Prado there, see what he could do. I'd rather see somebody with upside. Prado even reminds me, like obviously Nathaniel Lowe is much different now, and he's a better player. Don't get me wrong, but there's something weird about that profile to me. That seems like you might get a little bit at least the power wise in that scenario. Well, uh, you know, as we, you know, if we can go former Ray a second since you brought up Nathaniel uh, Nathaniel Lowe, so one of the things. I'm actually concerned about with him this uh, this year is if you look at his batted ball profile, he made a lot of opposite field weak contact that like kind of went for hits because yeah. of the defensive sure. alignment. Yeah. So I'm curious to see, like, with the law of unintended consequences, what happens when you have, you know, when you have regular alignment and all of a sudden some of those missed hits that were just bouncing through kind of an open infield uh, are now going to have a defender. What happens uh, with with Nathaniel Lowe? And not to take anything away from him, it was, it was great to see what he could do because he certainly had his limitations uh, with, with Tampa Bay in regards to velocity up at the letters and up. 
and he couldn't lay off it. And he couldn't do anything with it. Uh, and he honestly he didn't do much more because I, I went under the hood last year, wrote about it and said, hey, well, you know, what's going on? Why is he having this big year? And it wasn't because he was handling velocity any better. That, that wasn't happening. It was a lot of this like infield hits, some of the opposite field stuff and, and hitting it where the defense was giving him opportunities. You know, so kudos to him for doing that. Um, but that that flaw that was still there, and it could be there with his brother too. But he really, we haven't had the opportunity to see what's happening with 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 Josh Lowe, other than you know you have to keep scrolling to find his ADP way down there. Whereas yeah. last year people were throwing that dart, um, and right now, who knows? Uh, but he he's way down there. He's uh, you know he's going at four fifty eight, uh, and people are trying to figure out what's going to happen there. But he, when you look at him, you can tell they're brothers. They have the same yeah. setup. They have the same swing. And at, you know, at the major league level, we saw the younger brother struggle with the velocity up as well. The, the league gave him a ton of it. He didn't do anything with it. So are we trying to gamble on Josh at 458? Or it's like, nah, not this year. Uh, you know, I have a DC, like, of course. Yeah. So it, I, in the aforementioned DC that I was in, the guy that took him got him 87 picks after that. I got him 545. It's like, man, I'm absolutely, I would take, point, I would take the chance then. I remember staring at it a couple of times going, I should do this. But then I was in a soft spot where I was trying to grab some pictures uh, with that. But I let that go for a while. But you know, to me, it's, you know, you compared to where people were taking them last year as, mm-hmm. as their fourth or fifth outfielder, uh, because, you know, folks need to remember the AAA numbers for, uh, Tampa Bay could be really good because Durham is a really nice place to hit. Uh, and so it's like you, you saw Vidal Brujan do places like that, numbers like that um, overall, but Durham is a really nice place to hit. Uh, and so are a few other places in, in AAA there too. So that helps some of the numbers, especially a lefty guy like that. Yeah, makes sense. Um, you mentioned Isak Paredes. We'll jump to him real quick, and then we'll come back to Manny. Um, I, I'm intrigued by Paredes here. You know, first base, second base, third base eligible, which is great. ADP around 340-ish, give or take. And we saw the power balloon last year to 20 home runs, which is awesome. There's always kind of speculation in Detroit there was power, but you never knew because it was Detroit. Um, and maybe he kind of overachieved last year. Who knows? But it seems like they want to give him a chance in Tampa Bay to kind of explore this opportunity. So what's your thoughts on Paredes heading into uh, 2023? Yeah, I liked him quite a bit. I mean, he, at the time of the deal, this trade was made. Everybody's like, wow, Austin Meadows for Isak Paredes. What? Uh, and Paredes hit 20 more home runs than Meadows did last year, I believe. I don't know if Meadows got one over the fence. Uh, you know, and hopefully he makes his way back. Uh, yeah, How's he leading off? I have no idea. Projected to no. lead off. I, I don't get it at all. I, I saw that too. I, I'm not buying that for a second. Uh, but with Paredes, you know, again, the, the Rays always like these versatile players, guys that can move around the field. They, they've always had guys like that. And Paredes is that guy. But one of the differentiators there that they really haven't had for a while is, is one of those guys that can move around that has offense uh, along with that defensive versatility to that. And so he, like, he went on that big heater was it May, early June? I forget exactly the stretch, but he went on that big heater where he was just, you know, hitting everything right, left. He you know, he has his overall splits. Eventually, righties were getting to him uh, yeah, as he cooled off, as everybody does when they get on these big heaters. But he showed his upside, and and you know the Rays target a certain type of player and think they can find they can tap into something the previous organization couldn't. Uh, they actually got more out of Yandy Diaz than Cleveland ever did. Uh, I mean, he's not Yandy's never going to elevate the ball like any everybody wants him to. Uh, but they 
they allow players to make the most of the skills that they have. And Paredes is going to continue to get those opportunities as long as the bat and the versatility plays out. I, I don't have a problem with him not being projected. If he's not projected as, hey, I don't know where exactly where he's going to play because that's going to happen. Like you look at the ADP and they have him at third base. Um, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about what's coming uh, in the capacity. But Paredes, as long as he's hitting, is going to stay somewhere in the lineup. Yeah, that's kind of why I've been approaching him in DCs to as one of my kind of targets in that realm of the draft with the, the positional flexibility. And I believe he's going to play too, so I'm a, a big fan of that. Let's go back to Manny Margot. This is another guy I keep I, apparently I like late round Rays. Another guy I'm targeting at uh, ADP around 295 over the last couple of weeks. I just like Manny because you know if he if he plays and even if it's just like 120 games, he's proven it's double digit power and speed for the most part, mm-hmm. and I love that. And I think there's upside if he can actually play a full season. We'll see. But uh, what's your thoughts on Manny Margot, who was injured last year but looks to be healthy going into 2023? Yeah, it, the one thing that comes in the, the – and he's really good at stolen base proficiency too, and that that's always helpful. Uh, you know, the one thing that I looked at, like he was extremely – and, you know, when the, the Teflon or, you know, whatever, the, the bounce back on this. Last year he overperformed with hitting with runners in scoring position. It was absurd. Uh, you know, he was Manny Mark go ahead to the local fan base because he would come up and, and get that hit with the runner in scoring position to put, but he did extremely well in that type of area. And usually what comes up must come down a little bit. Uh, and, and so that's, that's something to keep in mind there. And not, he was also hitting higher in the lineup. Uh, and now if you look at the way the lineup's projected, I'm looking at the current roster resource, they have him hitting sixth. That may cut into a stolen base, Numbers, you know, uh, Jeff Zimmerman had a good article recently. It talked about stolen base attempts based on the spot, the lineup, and 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 two through six were not the great places for those. Um, you know, one or seven, eight, nine. So we'll see where that goes. Margot has shown, I would say, against lefties, he's probably hitting leadoff. I mean, he's really good uh, against lefties, and overall, he's got his he's got a good history of of accepting his walks and being a good uh, OBP guy. The projections aren't showing that right now. Uh, with, you know, looking at the projections, 311, but at this one set, I'm not looking at the, the whole matrix to see where things are. But he has hit leadoff. He's not miscasting that role, but there are certainly better guys in the offense to do that, uh, depending on who the pitcher is. But on a le- I would say for a lefty, there's a good chance he's going to be hitting leadoff in those games. Um, but don't look for him, or for that matter, most guys to have the same spot in the lineup every day. <laughs> Batting yeah, that's going to be moving around. That's the Rays' way, that's for yeah. sure. Uh, let's talk catchers real quick. I'll group them together. you got Christian Betancourt. you got Francisco Mejia. Both pros and cons. Looks like Betancourt, like we definitely saw some big pros last year between Oakland and Tampa Bay, playing a lot of first base, but he caught a lot with Tampa Bay. That was one thing that stood out to me when I looked at positional play based on the teams he was with. So how do you think that's going to shake out for these fantasy-wise in 2023? Yeah, uh, and you know, neither guy – I mean, catchers aren't great OBP league assets, but neither of these guys <laughs> particularly are good about doing that. Uh, you know, Bethencourt is the better – I would say he's the better overall defender. Uh, Mejia is a good thrower, uh, and I would say he got better. He's gotten better um, at blocking pitches. I think the, the thing that, that is frustrating about Mejia is – he is extremely impatient at the plate. He will swing at pitches. You're like, dude, what the hell was that? Uh, like we we joked around talking about uh, with Randy Rosarena on the bases sometimes. There are pitches Mejia is swinging at that are bouncing. They're far outside. They're up at his eyes. Like he has no plate discipline in that regard. Yet you look back at his minor league track record, and he had this pedigree of, you know, I'm a, I'm a good hitter, but for whatever reason, that discipline has, has not translated to the major leagues. And so he was – 
got to be very frustrating to watch uh, in that capacity. Uh, he hits better for average from the right, more power from the left hand side. Um, but I don't think there's, I don't think we're going to see much more uh, from the he. I'm frankly kind of surprised he's still with the club. When you look at, uh, you know, the fan of me was hoping they were going to try to make acquisition for another catcher. Um, that has not materialized. Doesn't look like anything will materialize. Uh, and so I would, I would put this at like a, a 60 40 split with Bethancourt getting most of the playing time there. Um, you know, Renee, Renee Pinto is the next guy in the organization. I only bring his name up because if you're in DC formats, you got to take him. You better have four catchers. Um, and Pinto is a guy that's been sitting there in the, in the late 40 rounds as, as the fourth catcher. Um, and you look at his AAA numbers and again, remind you about the ballpark in Durham, uh, how some of that plays out. And, and Pinto, you know, kind of has a, a Jose Molina like profile uh, overall, but it's a name you may have to use in a DC. I think I had to use him last year a little bit because he was my fourth or fifth catcher uh, on the roster. And I was running out of bodies. That makes sense. Makes sense. And we all have to, those rounds for 40 through 50 get, uh, yeah, just pretend, just clip, plug your nose. And it gets it's dicey. Draft, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Um, basically, the rest of the guys we haven't talked about, according to roster resource, maybe there's someone else Jose Siri, Tyler Walls, uh, Jonathan Aranda, Vidal Brujan. Any fantasy relevance to those guys? Like, they're all, we've all seen upside from most of them, actually, at some point in time. But uh, anything that stands out to you for this year? Yeah, so I would, you know, kind of talk about each one quickly. Siri, you know, the stolen base, his his ability to steal bases is great, but he can't steal first, and that's what he's got to do in order to steal the rest of them. Uh, but they're not going to take him out of the lineup for his defense. And I would, you know, I you would say I would say the same thing for Michael Harris for anybody saying, oh, he doesn't hit lefties. Well, Michael Harris's defense is not going to get benched just because the lefties on the mat. Now, Michael Harris may hit ninth on those days in the lineup, and and Ozzy Albies may hit second instead of Harris. That could very well happen. But Siri is pretty much going to hit down in the bottom of the lineup because that's where his skill set belongs. But, I mean, this is a club that has carried a defensive first center fielder for the past, what, nine years? Um, and and Siri is every bit, if not more, of a defender than Kiermaier Um has been and so Siri could stay out there every day and so if he can manage to get on base then the stolen bases could be there in spades because again they have not done anything to add to this offense so they're going to have to find other ways to create runs and you know we talked about Jeff's article earlier the bottom of the lineup is where stolen bases come and if they can get Siri on base and allow him to steal second there's Yandi uh, and and there's Wander and there's Randy so he becomes that second leadoff hitter, uh, if you will. But again, he's got the skills to be a very nice source of stolen bases. He just got to he has to get on base. Uh, Taylor Walls, I'm I'm curious with Taylor Walls because there are times when he shows some pop. You're like, wow, and like he's and he's a big dude. Like you think about a guy that qualifies at three positions, you think of him like short dude. I'm six four. Taylor Walls is as tall as me. Um, and he's a physical dude. He just hasn't been able to translate that into the plate much. Um, and he got overmatched a lot last year. Um, but again, he's also another guy that runs the base as well. Uh, and, and so I'm curious to see how he gets played too, because uh, he's an excellent defender. And with the new strains on the infield positions, you know, he could be in there at second base, depending on if it's a ground ball pitcher, maybe they want to use him in there because he can cover more than uh, range than anybody else can at second base. Um, and he can play the alpha I and mean, they can pretty much play him everywhere with Aranda, You know, you could say he's kind of like Luis Soraya's light 
very similar profile, similar build, similar defensive flaws. Like they have tried to find a defensive home for Ronda everywhere. First, third, second, short, outfield. He doesn't have a defensive home, uh, but he can hit. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one thing. He's got excellent bat-to-ball skills. Um, and so that either plays out here or that plays out somewhere else. There's going to be a value for Ronda somewhere in the league. Um, so we'll see where that plays. And then finally with Bruhan, there's another guy that has that can really run the last year he got thrown out a little more than he had previously done uh and so i want to see how that plays out but he looked really overmatched at the plate uh, overall in his limited time at the major league level conversely he looked outstanding triple a i saw him play in the triple a world series i saw him play uh live i went out to durham took the train over to from charlotte went to durham when durham comes here to charlotte i go there so i saw bruhan play either live or on mlb mlb tv eight, nine times last year. Looks great there. It didn't look anything like the guy that I saw at the major league level. So uh, all these guys are going to, you know, in a DC format, obviously you have to find homes for all these guys. Um, but in a standard 12 team mixed league, uh, some of those names you have to keep on your watch list to see how things break out in camp or if, you know, somebody gets traded and they go into a new opportunity. Beautiful thing is, is they're all pretty young still. So there's a lot yeah. of development that could still be happening with them in the, the race can do race things. You've seen it firsthand. Like they make things work surprisingly with all those platoons and moving around and use the speed. You use the, your, their strengths to their advantage. Oh, that the second oldest guy on the roster on yeah, um, the hitter. And, and the, if you look at the projected the debt thirteen that'll break camp. Uh, he's one month younger than Yandy Diaz. Yandy, yeah, those, right those, those are your older statesmen at thirty one and a half and thirty one point four years old. That's that's good stuff. And you go to the pitching staff, and all this guy's Jeffrey Springs somehow. Um, let's, let's, <laughs> which I would have lost a bet if someone would have thrown that out there. Too bad Chucky's gone. That would have done it. But uh, let's go to Shane McClanahan. This is a fun one. I know you talked about it at FPAS, and it's been a hot topic depending on what show or article you read around the world these days. Is uh, He ended the season banged up. There's really no denying that. Velocity changed. Overall production changed. Still going at an ADP around 45, 46, where – when he was dominating, you know, there was the questions, should he go ahead of Colin Burns in drafts at the middle of last year? Uh, what's your thoughts heading into this year? Because you maybe you probably you got your, your ear to the ground basically of, of Ray's talk. You know, before he before he got hurt last year, he was very, very much in the Cy Young uh argument. Very much. He was pitching, you know, I said it prior to, I said it early in the season, like he had a chance to have a 2018 Blake Snell like season. That's when Snell won the Cy Young. And that's exactly what McClanahan was doing. Uh, and, and the magic last year was the changeup. It, it was a different, it became a whole new weapon for him. You know, if you read the, uh, the process that, that Jeff and Tanner write, they talk about how the magic of watching a guy early and seeing what a new pitch does uh, and reacting before everybody else does. And you could watch McClanahan right out of the gate last year. You saw what that changeup was doing. You're like, oh, my God, uh, this thing looks amazing. He already knew he had the good fastball and the good breaking ball. But the, the life on the changeup just by changing the grip um, with it and working with Kyle Snyder took him to a whole new level. And then, you know, the shoulder uh, got in the way right there, right after – right there on the all-star break. And then the numbers were different after, you know, 420 ERA um, after that uh, injury. So it's like, when you want to look at them, they managed them. If it was going to be too bad, I don't think we ever would have saw him pitch at the end of the season, like we did, uh, but they did let him pitch and he did look, you know, he looked effective doing that. So for me, I, I mean, I have a tough time projecting anybody over 160 innings anymore. I really do. It's got to be an exception case. So it's like, when I look at McClanahan, I want to say, okay, give me 150. 
Um, and it'll be a really good 150, but then everything else after that's gravy. And maybe that gravy is 25, 30 innings of eh, baseball. Um, hopefully it's not an injury type of case um, with that. But, you know, when he, when everything's right, he is one of the best pitchers in the game. And it's like the kind of risk you take. Um, but if it's roster build, if you if you take him as your first guy, that almost that almost uh, necessitates you assuming less risk with your next two pitchers because you got to like I need a horse I need somebody who if I do that and but the same thing applies to a Degrom if you want to go ahead and try it with Degrom you got to go you have to go get another horse that you know you're going to be able to get that work from so it's, it's one of those things where you're taking McClanahan but it's also now dictating what your next few rounds are going to look like too. Yeah, I guess that's why me, the cautious, boring drafter, I just have kind of steered clear of Shane this season. Like I steer clear of Jacob Degrom too. So it's just kind of a a thing for me. But you know, risk reward, I guess, is the question right. of the day. There, let's talk risk reward again in Tyler Glass now, who we know missed pretty much all of last season with an injury. Um, ADP of eighty three right now. Reports are he's feeling good. He's gonna be ready for camp. I just have a hard time for a guy that missed all that time with that injury to expect him to right, be right back to where he was beforehand, where some people think he will be. So maybe I'm wrong. What's your thoughts on last night? Yeah. I mean, with, it was, it was good to see him come back pitch last year as, as you know, even it was, even though it was limited, it's you, people who have heard me talk about Tommy John, the way I treat these pitchers is I usually want two full years, two full years until I get that guy on my roster again, because we know the velocity and we saw it with glass and we saw this all play out with glass now last year. He came back and pitched in that brief time and velocity wasn't the problem, but the command was, and that's always been the problem with these guys. You can make it back in a year. You, and he did it, you know, he had a surgery in August and he pitched in September. You can make it back in that time, but the command is what is always last to come back. And that's to be expected when you take that big type of layoff from anything. I mean, if you want to play basketball, you take a year off from shooting free throws, you may airball your first few. It's going to happen uh, with that. And so, it, and with, with glass now, he's got part of the issue was his ability to pound the strike zone, get ahead and then force the hitter to go on protect mode. And we, we saw it with Pete Fairbanks last year as he was closing. It was the same approach, like throw as hard as you can high and, and throw that curve in the dirt and good luck guessing right. Uh, and that's what Glassman was able to do when everything's together. So I would expect some more bumps in the road with his command because by April that puts him 18 months away from his surgery. So he's closer to that finish line. Um, but if you're running into 2023 expecting what you thought he was going to be in 2021 – uh, I'm not with you there. I, I'm not, I mean, the ADP is, I don't believe is too crazy. You know, like his, his max has been 105, his min has been 70. Uh, I've only done two drafts. I've had him in neither um, with that. So when I'm, I'm looking at that, I just need to, again, it's, it's going to dictate if you do that, it's going to dictate some of the other moves you could make. But I would caution people into expecting him to be, uh, what he what what you thought he was going to be before the injury and, I, and part of this issue is justin verlander just spoiled it for everybody yes uh, but verlander had a longer recovery uh yeah he had a longer mm -hmm. time to, to get back but justin verlander just blew it for tyler glass everybody's looking at him like well this could be verlander and it could be it's in the, it's in the uh you know the 90th percentile type of outcome it could happen but that's the, that's the problem if justin verlander had not happened last year i'm not sure glass now is going in the top 100 you make a great point there, and I'm going to put some more rain on the parade of the glass now thing just because it's not a talent question for me. Like, I liked Verlander because, to me, at his age, his time off, and they gave him money, 
they're going to pitch until his arm fell off again, in my mind. He was a different case than a guy like Glasnow's age. And also looking at Glasnow's just career, he hasn't pitched over 100 innings since 2018. Yeah. Like the guy that hasn't had the workload for me to, to see like a massive jump. Like if he gets to back 100 this year, 120, I think that's a great point for then your two-year window. Next year, let's get back on board and, and have some fun. So it's nothing against glass now. It's just like the, you talk about the risk-reward. It's it's asking a lot for a guy that just hasn't had the workload in forever coming off yep. an injury to, to pull it off. All right, let's talk to Drew Rasmussen. We've got a couple of young arms here that are really fun to talk about. You know, Rasmussen, ADP recently at about 174. Saw some real, real big improvements as the season one. See, he, he threw 146 innings last year with the big club, which is huge. Ratios were great. What's your outlook on him? Uh, not bad for a guy that was a former reliever in Milwaukee. Uh, and yeah. So earlier I made the comment that the club excels at helping people do the best with what they have. And I firmly believe Rasmussen's the best situation of this with pitching because Rasmussen doesn't have a good changeup. It's garbage. Uh, and they basically said, stop using it. Use your fastball and use your breaking balls. And what he's what he's done, and you could see this, you start, you saw it starting in the 2020 uh late in 2021 and then it carried over last year you know he just pounds the strike zone that he is he's not out there to mess around uh, i'd honestly surprised like if he if the rays let him stay in their nine innings he could pull a maddox he he truly could because he he is that efficient he is just throwing it right around the the periphery of the strike zone changing eye levels in out with three pitches um, and he just puts you on the defensive and you look at the numbers you can see that you know when you, when a pitcher has the high grounds you know, it's it's game over a lot of the time. And that's what, with Rasmus, you look at the profile, he should not be as good as he is. Um, but he's a good example also of a real baseball pitcher and the difference between that and the fantasy because he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't go too deeply into games. Uh, he does this job for the real baseball team, uh, but he's a five, six inning guy. So that puts some of his wins at risk. And he, he did maximize the wins he got last year, but that also cuts into the volume of the strikeouts because he's not out there enough. And again, he's not out there to strike guys out. He's out there to get guys out. And he will often pitch like that, but the ratios are really good. And so that's where, uh, you know, you look at his ADP right now, like I said, it, it's 172. Um, he's gone 148, 194. Uh, that's like fourth pitcher territory uh, most of the time with that. Uh, in fact, I took him in his league and I took him 16 picks. I ended up getting a pick 188 is when I ended up taking him because I was like, I just can't let him go by again uh, after this. So it's like I, I like him, but I also understand what his limitations are. Uh, but you know, just because you come out in the in after five complete doesn't mean you can't get that win. And the way they use the bullpen uh, can still protect that win. It could also go to somebody else, as we've often seen. Um, but I don't know if there's another like he went one forty eight. I'm not. You know, there's not a one seventy five coming for him this year. I don't believe. Uh, I don't believe they wanted to get him to one forty eight last year. They just had no choice. Yeah, no, that make that makes sense because I was kind of surprised by how much they kind of let him go because we're used to. At least I am from the outside looking. We're used to the Rays kind of slow playing their younger pitchers and kind of getting them going. So I was surprised him and then Jeffrey Springs were, we're going to talk about too. They kind of started letting them go a little bit more than I expected as the season went on. Like not super deep, like you said, but just enough to kind of not be like, you know, four and out type guys. We're not doing the Ryan Yarborough through everybody. Uh, so it was interesting. So let's talk Jeffrey Springs. Um, and he's a very popular name. We talked about how he got extended financially, ADP at 156. Seems to have the more strikeout stuff than Rasmussen, but um, it seems like there's still, I guess, you know, innings wise, kind of a lot of similarities there too. So, how do you approach him this year? Yeah, so they, you know, they, they, the Rays have typically liked to keep. 
the innings, the innings increase year over year, somewhere around 20, 23% is what they've historically gone for. But like I said, they really didn't have much of a choice uh, last year. And so Rasmussen uh, and Springs, they both had to extend longer than they wanted them to. So that was a little bit rough, uh, but it worked out. I mean, but for him, one of the things they've, you know, you think about when that trade happened, when they took the trade and they got, they got him from Boston for uh, not, uh, her name, the catcher, Ronald, I think uh, Rolando Hernandez, I forget exactly the catcher, but I know there was a lot of, man, why do we give up that guy? Uh, especially to Boston. Uh, and it's worked out really well for Springs, but they they have gone through the, the raised way of working up and down with the fastball, going side to side with the breaking stuff and keeping the soft stuff down. Um, and the recipe has worked extremely well for him. He, again, Springs is another guy who you know, throws it all around the strike zone and puts hit her on the defensive. He's not out there, you know, trying to strike out people, but it, it can work uh, with that crafty lefty approach. So I do like it. Like if you were to say who's going to lead this club in innings this year, um, it could very well be him. Uh, I would still say McClanahan's the odds on favorite, but if it's not him, it's going to be Springs uh, just because he's sometimes he looks like he's out there pitching in a rocking chair. Uh, and it's fun to watch. I do like crafty lefties that I mentioned on the, uh, Rotowire podcast. I grew up as a big Jimmy Key fan. I uh, love nice. watching Jimmy Key pitch for Toronto. Um, and Jeffrey Springs, different arm angle, obviously. Key was more of a side oh, armor, so but same type of thing. It looked like they're pitching in a rocking chair every now and then. And uh, and then every now you're you're thinking, okay, here comes changeup and wham, fastball. And you're like, God, why did the thing was right down the middle? Why didn't he swing at it? Well, because he wasn't expecting it. Um, it's not like you can react that quickly. So it was fun. It's been fun to watch his uh, growth as a pitcher from somebody who was just a relief asset, and especially remember he bounced back from a pretty nasty knee injury too, yeah, yeah. Uh, and okay. that was nice. I mean, that was a nasty on fielding uh, a batted ball. It was just gross when it happened, but he's bounced back rather nicely from that. Yeah, Springs was a nice uh, midseason acquisition for fantasy purposes last year. He was very, like you said, it strikeouts made it look easy for those younger listeners that don't know who Jimmy Key is. He legit looks like he's in a rocking chair when he pitches. Like Jason was saying, like go check it out. I'm picturing it as he's saying it and the arm angle and everything. Like it's yeah, it fits pretty well. Yankees, Jays, different options. Pick your poisons, but he's out there, um, and it, it's very interesting. Hey, I would say Springs was my fifth round reserve pick in my home AL league. <laughs> fifth round wow. reserve pick. That's where he wow. was last year, and yeah. he's made that kind of jump uh, in in one season. Yeah closer to 150 now so around around 10 or 11 in a 15 team or here you're having to, to pay the price which is not a bad price to pay uh last picture we'll mention here and talk about paying the price i think this was the race most expensive uh contract that they've given Ever. out or yeah Ever. which is that's like <laughs> i just like man man alive um zach eflin and this is kind of a fun one because if you played fantasy long enough like you know you have jason is there's been runs where we've been all team eflin and it's worked really well and then you get on team eflin and it just blows up in your face and like we've had that up and down roller coaster with him so what's your thoughts now going into tampa a team that knows how to utilize pitching like you said do what they do best use your your, your repertoire basically um, how do you see him for 2023? I, I just hope the legs stay healthy. That's been the problem is it's been his lower half uh, and pitchers need that obviously. And that's been the problem with him. Uh, but you know, this was, this was Corey Kluber's role last year. Um, Eflin's obviously not as old as Kluber, but this was Kluber's role last year. It's like you're a contact suppressor and pitching in Tropicana field uh, plays to that. And if you have the the defense and, and, and Eflin certainly does, depending which way he wants to go. If he wants to like, okay, I'm going to go after fly balls more. He's like, you've got ball Hawk and, and Jose Siri. Manny Margot's a strong defender. Uh, Randy Rosarena can get the fly, can chase down the fly balls. I mean, he'll make crazy cutoff throws, but uh, there are different things. But 
they there are ball hawks in the outfield and they have good defense uh, on the end. I'm just really curious to see how the defense is going to play this year with standard alignments. I, you know, uh, again, Yanni Diaz uh, looks like a statue and moves like one at third base for the most part. Uh, so I want to see how that's all going to play out uh, in that capacity uh, with it. So Eflin has the ability to be that contact suppressor that, that Corey Kluber was last year uh, with that. I just hope the legs can, legs can stay healthy because they need, you know, they, they need that kind of work when you try to look at the rest of the rotation. It's like, okay, we've already talked about question marks on the innings with some of those guys. And then like the next guys up are, you know, there's no more Ryan Yarbrough up to, to bounce around. You, maybe Yanni Chirinos can do a little bit. You have Josh Fleming, who is, I don't know. There are times when Josh Fleming looks absolutely horrendous, and there are times when you're like, oh, maybe there's something there. Um, the the big question mark for me this year is Luis Patino, uh, because Patino, a lot of people, we mentioned the Josh Lowe dart earlier that people were throwing. People were on that Patino train last year, and uh, it took – uh, two thirds of an inning for that to blow up uh, when he got no when he had an oblique injury in his first outing, and then he you know missed time and it then it has not worked out well for him. So that's a big wild card this year. Uh, I would like, given the team's track record for you know fixing issues, I would like to see what they do with Patino. Maybe they they bring him back into workload by letting him work some of that. Uh, middle relief, much like they did Springs and Rasmussen when they first got him from Milwaukee and, and see what's there to help rebuild him. But that's a big wild card. That, that's somebody last year that people were looking at as a late round sleeper who was now like in a slumber. You look at the ADP is way down there. Uh, and so I want to, uh, you know, to see what's there, but that's kind of what's, they need that to happen. And then you got Taj Bradley as well. So that's like the next up, but there's a pretty big drop off from the starting five to the next four. They don't have the, the depth currently to absorb that type of injury. So Eflin was an absolute target that they needed to get because there's a, there's a gap there. Most of the, uh, most of the promises on the, uh, the hitting side, I'm, I'm not sure what Bradley's going to be this year uh, in that capacity, but he would have been the next guy. Yeah. I like the Patino shout though, because um, I remember, I can't remember what I was doing. I, was, I do DFS five days a week for other stuff. And I think I messaged you or, added you on twitter or something said why can't he get a darn left-handed bat out or something he said because he throws his change up it's like you it was a whole conversation just like an eye opener if something <laughs> seems so simple that you knew like the answer immediately and i'm like why can't they figure this out like the talent's there he just hasn't put it together and she's like ah yeah so that's baseball yep. in a nutshell but if you're um, in the right organization i mean this organization loves to, uh, to teach guys change-ups and if they can throw it then it can work if they can't i mean like I said, Rasmussen, they couldn't really get one for him. I said, fine, just don't throw it. Uh, you know, they were able to get one, uh, help McClanahan do one. Uh, they've helped, uh, you know, Glassnell's worked with the splitter. They they evolved one for him. But if it's not going to come together for Patino, uh, then may, maybe they have to turn him into a reliever. He's got the fastball slider, uh, but he's got to also stay healthy on the mound. And like you said, he's still young, too. Yeah. <laughs> they've got time. Uh, let's talk bullpen real quick. Uh, Fairbanks, he got his money. He talked about the surgeries, and he's always looked great when he's back there and healthy. But there's a bunch of uh, talented arms back there, like usual. That's one thing the Rays do is they they build a, a slew of relievers. So how do you attack this bullpen come fantasy time? So a reminder for those who don't know, uh, four consecutive seasons, this club's had at least 10 pitchers with one save, at least 10 pitchers. Uh, they set the record in the COVID season. They only needed 60 games to get 14 guys to get one save. <laughs> All right, so this is when things get crazy. Um, but that said, 
they have had a primary closer before. And when I say primary, I'm not talking like every save, but primary. Emilio Pagan saved 20 games for this club at one point. Uh, Alex Colome was a primary closer. Andrew Kittredge was a primary guy before he got hurt. Nick Anderson was a primary guy before he got hurt. I don't believe you give Pete Fairbanks the contract they just did uh, and say you're not going to be the primary guy. So I look at him as being the primary guy. You know, for me, the, I, I mentioned the XFL. We had the XFL draft at First Pitch Arizona. I bought Pete Fairbanks in that in that draft, even though I already had Emmanuel Classe and Felix Bautista. It's like I went ahead and went there anyhow because back then I was like, he's going to be the guy. Because one of the things that was so impressive with Fairbanks, and I mentioned he's gotten better every year. Um, you know, he has worked his delivery, so he's kind of got almost that short arm cycle that. Uh, Lucas Giolito made popular when he had his breakout, but uh, that's what Fairbanks is doing. But he's also raised his arm angle, and so he's got that fastball that's always had the velocity, and he's got the ride. But then he throws that eleven to five slider, which comes at you and just like drops off. And so if you're trying to protect against the slider, you got no chance catching up to the hundred. Or conversely, if you're sitting on a hundred and you start cheating on that, and that all of a sudden it's like out of that tunnel, here comes a slider. Oh, I'm in trouble. Um, I believe if I have the if I have the numbers right, the Fairbanks gave up one home run last year. It was on the very first pitch that he threw. Oh, jeez! Very very first pitch that he threw, he gave up one home run to Austin Hayes, um, and that people. was the last home run that he allowed. Uh, yes, in fact, that's true. He gave up one home run in the twenty four innings. It was the very yep. first pitch of the season wow. he threw to Austin Hayes. I remember watching that game, so I'm like, oh yeah, Fairbanks is back. First pitch, boom, and I'm like, ooh. Uh, inauspicious debut, but the strikeout rates have always been there. You, but you go look at his player profile. The big difference last year is the walks disappeared. I mean, he was his his walks per nine were over four each of the previous seasons, and his walk rate was a his walk rate was a uh, 10, 12, 11, and last year three point four. They disappeared, and that's what happens when you can get ahead with with number one and then throw number two. Uh, and that's why it's just so impressive to watch him come out and flat out dominate. And so for me, yeah, there's going to be there'll probably be 10 guys with one plus save again this year because there are a number of candidates. You know, Jason Adam, we saw what he did last year, and that's a good example of about a very late addition. Jason Adam was added to the right. I think right as the team was going to camp, they added Jason Adam last year on a minor league deal. Um, Sean Armstrong, you look at, you know, you know, Sarah's stuff plus numbers. Sean Armstrong shows out good. In fact, Sean Armstrong's stuff plus was uh, one spot higher than Shane McClanahan's. Wow. Uh, so it's like there's some stuff. And then Garrett Clevenger, the Colin Poche, it's like they've got different guys. That said, Pete Fairbanks is the number one. Um, but he's not the 1A that a Class A or a Bautista um, are for other organizations. He's the one here. But there's going to be a 1B, a 1C, a 1D, and a 1E that are also going to be in the play as well. And those guys could have – uh, different types of success. Like even before Jordan Romano became the closer in Toronto, he had value in, in, in his other role. And that's where we could see a Clevenger or an Armstrong or Adam. I mean, Adam did it last year, but Adam's numbers were so insane last year. Uh, you got to expect it to come back to earth a little bit more, which opens up opportunities for somebody else. And we mentioned Poche, who's now two full years back from his Tommy John surgery. Um, and he's somebody who absolutely has to have his fastball command because it's his fastball is like 88% of his offering. Um, and then it's the, his, his breaking balls showed promise last year, but when he gets into trouble with the home runs, it's missed fastballs. That's it. Cause he's throwing that, that riding fastball so often, if it misses, it gets crushed. 
Now he's fully back from that, and he's always been able to miss bats. So I'm I'm excited to see what Poche can bring to the table, even though it's been a rough ride since his uh, recovery from Tommy John. Yeah, it's it's always the, the Rays are always fun to watch in that regard. Fantasy pain in the butts, but fun to watch because they always have guys that can put it together. And you know, at least Fairbanks at an ADP of one seventy five doesn't crush you. And I've always been okay with taking the Rays quote unquote number one heading into the season because, like you said, he's going to get you usually pretty good ratio strikeouts, and he's going to run into hopefully 20-ish saves, maybe 15 to 20. So you, you're, you're in the ballpark there. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, before we head on out of here, you, uh, prospect-wise, you mentioned Pinto behind the dish. You might, we would talk Josh Lowe. We talked Patino. Is there anybody else potentially for 2023 that you could see having an impact? Uh, well, I've, Curtis Mead, I mentioned earlier, like what happens the third. Curtis Mead is where I want to see what happens. Uh, Curtis Mead could play. Like right now he's projected. They have him as a third baseman, but the reports talk about – uh, the arm may not be able to play at third base. Let's not forget that his season ended last year with arm soreness. Uh, and so perhaps they make room for him in the outfield or DH or move him around. But Curtis Mead is the exciting, uh, the more ex- the more exciting hitter tool. Uh, Kyle Manzaro at, at first base. But the problem with first base prospects is just the high bar that you have for that power. Uh, and that's where, you know, the, a lot of a lot of fantasy money has been wasted on chasing first base prospects, and so many of them fail because the bar is high. Like you need to be a twenty-five plus home run guy there, and that may not happen there. But Mead could come up and hit for average and be a run producer quickly. Uh, he's really good in that capacity, and they could move him around a little bit. So that's the one I'm excited about uh, to see how that plays out uh, in that regard. But so we'll have to see. But again, this this team historically slow plays these types of guys, so we'll have to see. You know what the timeline is for that. Uh, but the fact that they did not to date make any offseason acquisitions either tells me uh, one, like I said earlier, they're playing a game of chicken with guys like jerks and profar, possibly Gary Sanchez doing something like that, or B they are banking on these kids coming up uh, and Mead will get an opportunity rather quickly. Let's not forget that Josh Lowe did make the opening day roster last year. People weren't expecting that. They gave him a contract. They brought him up. They set him down a week later, but he did make the opening day roster. Uh, so it's not out of the, the realm of possibility if Mead comes up and just rakes all throughout camp. So you're saying there's a chance. That's always good. Um, I Honestly, Gary Sanchez, I'm surprised. I, we know the, the, the faults of Gary Sanchez, but – Figured some team would have signed him by now. Some team that's looking for some power, like the Giants. I was okay with that, as you could tell, like the reports this past week, and they're not in yeah. Joey Bart. They're not like in love with him. So I was there they are. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But we'll wrap it up there, Jason. Uh, before we head on out, I want you to remind everybody like what you got coming on at Rotowire, Sleeper of the Bust, and, and much more. Sure. So at Rotowire, the collect calls column uh, comes out every week. We are halfway through the uh, the bold prediction. I do a hitter and a pitcher from all 30 teams by the end. And so this week, uh, the NL Central predictions will be hitting. So far, I've done both the AL NL East and the AL Central. Uh, and so I will have that series wrapped up um, here by the end of this month. So as we March kicks off, March Madness, heavy draft season, you will have 60, uh, 60 names, 30 hitters, 30 pitchers uh, to look at and hold me accountable. Uh, I do talk about in the first article of that series, the ones I did really well on last year. I also point out the ones I really blew it on. Uh, so I do like doing that kind of accountability on that, but I enjoy that. 
and then uh, Sleeper in a Bus podcast on Sundays. We are recording on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, and we are recording on the 19th, but then we're not recording at the end of the month because it's Potapalooza yeah. uh, weekend. So uh, so we will have episodes. Uh, I know Paul and, uh, Paul and Justin have wrapped up all the positional uh, player previews. Justin and I, if you haven't listened to the most recent one, we each picked a favorite target for each of the 10 standard roto categories after pick 300. And I had a blast doing that because you, know, you listen to a lot of podcasts and everybody's all about like, who are you going to take in the first three, four rounds? It gets beaten to death. It's like, you know, give me the end game. Cause that's where you win. Yeah. You know, I made comment that the DC that I won last year, I took Stephen Kwan in the 38th round and I took Cal Raleigh in the 39th round. Uh, good. That's that that helped me. There's no doubt that helped me win the league because you get that kind of value, as you mentioned, after round 40, you're holding your nose picking. Well, those two guys almost made it around 40, and I took them back to back rounds. Uh, and so that's that's where you win leagues is late in the game. Uh, you know, you can lose it, you can lose a league early in the draft, but you win them late. Uh, and that's why I like that's why I really enjoyed the last podcast because it gave us an opportunity to talk about names that are for the most part going undrafted in standard mixed league formats right now. If anything, they're going in the reserves, but we, we really were like outside the top 350. We rarely jumped above 350 and, and talking about the 20 names that we discussed on the podcast. Yeah. I love, I love uh, breakdowns like that. Cause you're right. We do. We're all guilty of it at some point in time doing some early round yep. stuff, but uh, like Bloomfield and I started doing a pockets one through 150, 150 to 200, 200, whatever. And it really opens your eyes to like building from the middle end of the draft before you get to the front. So definitely a different way to approach things. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to checking that one out. But uh, as always, Jason, thanks for joining me. Pleasure talking to you and uh, good luck this season. Awesome. Thanks for having me and hope to see you soon, bud. Yes, indeed. Everybody check him out again. If you're not for some weird reason, following him on Twitter at Jason Collette. But uh, this was your bench with Bubba Tampa Bay Rays season preview. Catch you guys next time. Mm-hmm.